Good morning, church. My name is Dave. I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Campus, and I'm so glad you're here. I am so grateful for Travis and our global outreach team because they're helping us extend the mission of making disciples together to the nations. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples together, and I'm convinced that the church that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. And so we rejoice this week at seeing five different people who've made professions of faith in Christ. When a person puts their trust in Jesus, what they're saying yes to is they're saying yes to following Jesus and beginning to put into practice in their life all that he's commanded And they're utterly and completely dependent upon His grace. And His grace is more than enough to give them everything they need to follow Him. Now, we're going to open God's Word this morning. And before we do, I want to pray uh, for His help, for His grace, for all of us to be able to hear the Word of God together. So let's pray. Father, help us. Open hearts to the message of the gospel, to the joy of what you have done for us, that Jesus, all of our life, could be an expression of thanks, that your blood has washed away our sin. Jesus, thank you. The wrath of God completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. We sit now in your presence, Jesus. We ask that you would help us as your word is read and taught. Help the one who speaks and all who hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week and this week, we're taking a break from our study of 2 Peter to look at the issue of giving. And last week, we saw that giving is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And this week, I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 6, we're just going to read one verse. From Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Give, and it will be given to you. We're going to look at this one verse from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see Jesus, with regard to our giving, promises, give, and it will be given to you. And what I want us to see in this verse is a principle, a picture, a problem, and a power. A principle, give, and it will be given to you. A picture what that is like, a a problem and a power that can come into our lives and enable us to give. Now, 
the principle is this. Give, and it will be given to you. The principle that binds the moral universe together is the principle of sowing and reaping. It fits with reality. If you sow seed, you will reap a harvest. It runs through all the universe. It fits with reality. So when we... There's a story of a boy who got in a fight at school. He got in a fight at school. He came home, and his mom was helping kind of clean up his wounds. His eye was black. His face was cut up, and she was helping tend to his wounds. And he complained and complained and complained about the other boy and all the, all the faults that the other boy had. He was this, and he was that, and it was all his fault that this fight happened. And isn't it awful what's happened to me? His mother listened to him as she bandaged up his womb, and then, wound, and then he, she took him outside to their backyard, and in their backyard there were some rolling hills that created the perfect echo. And she said, listen, do something for me. I want you to yell out as loud as you can all the all the bad names that you can think of. So the boy started yelling. All the bad names that he could think of. And every single time he said a bad name, it came back in the echo. And then she said, now I want you to yell. At the top of your voice, I want you to yell, God bless you. And he did. And it came back. God bless you. And that boy never forgot the principle of sowing and reaping, that you give and it will be given to you. It runs through the moral universe. It fits with reality, so much so that nearly every world religion teaches this same principle, and the best of secular people teach this principle, people like Stephen Covey, who wrote in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. This principle of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, runs through all of life. It runs through all of Scripture. So in the book of Proverbs, we come across verses like this. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Or Proverbs 22, 9, he who's generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Or Proverbs 28, 8, he who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Or Proverbs 28, 27, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. So the principle is give, and it will be given to you. Now Jesus adds a picture. This is unbelievable. Now I'm going to illustrate the picture, and some of you are going to hear this, and you're going to do exactly what Sue Ellen and I did yesterday. When I told her this illustration. Now, Jesus uses a picture 
from the marketplace. And he says, as you give, it'll be given to you. And let me tell you about how generous God is. God is so generous that he doesn't measure according to weight. He measures according to volume. And here's the difference. Would you rather God measure in chips or in Chinese takeout? God measures in Chinese takeout and not in chips. Have you bought a bag of chips from Bucky's lately? You buy the chips. Chips are sold by weight. They're not sold by volume. When you open that bag of Bucky's chips, you look inside and you think, there's far too few chips for a bag this size. Where's the chips? But Chinese food, Chinese food is sold by volume. How do they get so much rice and chicken in that styrofoam container? It is absolutely loaded. It's pressed down, shaken. It's absolutely full. Our God is a God of Chinese takeout. He's not a God of chips. He provides for us generously, fully, and He isn't, He doesn't hold back anything that He knows we need for life. Now, there's the principle, there's the picture. If you go and get Chinese food today, you're welcome. The principle in the picture, if we stopped there, we could get in big trouble. I want you to know there's a problem. And the problem is this. Our natural human hearts are so turned inward on ourselves that we are prone to leave out the giver and only celebrate the gift. There is a vast difference between what Jesus teaches and what the prosperity gospel teaches. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. Jesus teaches, give and it will be given to you. The prosperity gospel teaches, give and you will get. The prosperity gospel turns life with God into a transaction. And what's lost? A relationship with the one who's loved us. A relationship with the one who's made us. A relationship with the one who is for us. Jesus teaches, give and it will be given. Behind this is a relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. And our hearts, the problem, is not the logic of the prosperity gospel. The problem is the lack of love behind it. In any teaching that makes our giving and receiving a transaction and forgets about the greatness of the love of God for us, we can easily get into trouble. And Jesus illustrates it perfectly in his parable regarding the prodigal son. 
You remember the prodigal son? In Luke 15, the prodigal son, a man had two sons, and the younger of the two sons goes to his father, and he says to his father, uh, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. The younger son says, Dad, you'd be better to me dead than alive. I don't care for our relationship. All I want is the stuff. All I want is my inheritance. Give me. That's the human heart turned inward on itself. And that's the problem with giving to get. Is it takes the giver out of the equation. The greatness and the glory of our loving Heavenly Father is completely removed along with the relationship. So what's the solution? The, the power that enables our giving to be motivated properly is when we see the self-giving love of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's the exact same word, forgive, in Mark 10, 45, as in Luke 6, 38. It's repeated three times in Luke 6, 38, once in Mark 10. And it's this principle, is that the gospel says that our Savior Jesus is a giver. He gave Himself. He gave all of Himself on the cross. And He gave all of Himself on the cross for you to ransom you, to set you free from your heart's sinful tendency to turn inward on yourself, to turn the love of the Father into a transaction and to sacrifice our relationship with Him, Jesus turns us around to open all of our life to the love of the Father. Jesus sets our hearts free from our natural selfishness that our sin produces and enables us to give, not to give, not to get, but to be given to through a relationship of love with our Heavenly Father. It's made possible through Jesus. It's made possible through His self-sacrifice. And you'll never outgive Jesus because Jesus gave it all. He was willing in love for you, to give all of himself, to serve you all the way down to the bottom on the cross. And now he lives to make intercession, to pray for you. And he invites you to follow him with all of your life. Now listen, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Christ, has anyone has anyone ever loved you like Jesus is described in Mark 10, 45? 
Has anyone ever been willing to self-sacrifice themselves for you the way Jesus did? If you begin to think of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, then following him will not seem like, like an incredible thing. It'll seem like the most natural thing to follow someone who loves you. To follow someone who self-sacrificed for you? To follow someone who was willing to do everything for you? Following him will become your greatest joy, your greatest delight. And following him will include giving. Not to get, but giving to be given to. So that you can experience more and more and more of his amazing love for you. Now, what I would love for you to consider this week is how you could take a step. Take a step in response to all that Jesus Christ has done for you in his self-sacrifice of himself. Take a step. Now, in the area of giving, I want to remind you of five things about your giving, about our giving in response to what Jesus has done. It's loving, it's cheerful, it's proportional, it's sacrificial, and it's eternal. I'm going to tell you those again. First, it's loving. It's loving. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says that love is the secret ingredient to our giving. If I give away everything that I have to the poor... And if I give up my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Jesus says that the secret ingredient to our giving is love. My uh, mother-in-law is Italian. She makes this amazing tomato sauce. It has a secret ingredient. If I told you what it was, it wouldn't be a secret any longer. But my wife knows the recipe. But sometimes we can't find that secret ingredient. Sometimes we can't find it, so we can't use it. And, and people who know, know the secret ingredient is missing. God loves our gifts Oh, listen, they're, they're all tainted love gifts, but God loves our gifts when the secret ingredient of love is included. Now, how does that get in us? How does the secret ingredient get in us so that our giving is loving? When we reflect upon the amazing love of our Savior, Jesus, love moves in. Love moves in through the gospel, through the gospel preached to us. As we love and experience the love of Jesus, are, are loved by him, love is added to our giving. Has love moved in? Our giving is loving. Our giving is cheerful. In first Corinth, or 2 Corinthians uh, 9, uh, verse 7, each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
So what enables us? What enables us to give cheerfully? When we reflect upon what Jesus has done, Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. That there was Jesus, self-giving, was motivated by joy. Jesus gave it all. And what was given to him in return? Was it the love of the Father? He had the love of the Father. For all eternity past, he had the love of the Father. Was it the position of first place in all the universe? He had the position of first place in all the universe. All things were made by him and through him. In fact, the Bible says nothing that's been made was made apart from him. He had first place in the universe. What didn't he have? He didn't have you. The joy set before Jesus was you. And when our hearts are captured by Jesus' joy in saving us, then suddenly our giving will begin to take on the characteristic of cheerfulness. Giving is loving, cheerful, proportional. Malachi 3 verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's a tithe? Literally, a tithe is 10%. 10%. Tithe is not a spiritual word for giving. Tithing is giving 10% in response to all that God has given us, and here's how it works. 10 minus 1 plus Jesus equals more. Now the world looks at us and says, 10 minus 1 plus Jesus equals more. You must be crazy. And we say, no, 10 minus 1 plus Jesus equals more. And the world says, no, I know, 10 minus 1 equals less. I have seen in my own life, year after year after year, 10 minus 1 plus Jesus equals more. How does it work? I don't know. But it works. Because Jesus promises 10 minus 1 with him equals more. And it's one place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. So you give proportionally 10 minus 1 with Jesus, with the power of the gospel, with the love of Christ ruling in your heart, and see what he'll do to prove his reality, to prove his greatness, to prove his glory. It's proportional. It's loving, it's cheerful, it's proportional, it's sacrificial. Above and beyond the tithe, we're invited to give sacrificially. In 2 Corinthians 8.3, 8, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, giving beyond the tithe. Giving beyond the tithe shows more and more and more of our trust in our Heavenly Father to provide for everything we need. When we give, not only proportionally, but sacrificially, ministries and missions have the opportunity to be fully funded. When we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the local church is supported in all of its ministries and missions. 
But when we give sacrificially beyond the tithe to plant churches or to fund missionaries or local ministries, then many, many more things and people are impacted as we give not only proportionally but also sacrificially. And then finally, we give eternally. We give eternally. Proverbs 3.9 that we spoke from last week says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Now last year, last year we started talking as a uh, group of elders, we started talking about how we could do a better job of inviting people to give eternally, to take a portion of their wealth, their estate, and leave it so that it continues to give beyond their death to bless and make it possible for the church to be funded and for the nations to be reached. And so we invited a group of our elders to come together, and Jared Roach headed that team, and I want to invite him to come up and just speak with us for just a minute about this issue of estate giving. Now, while he's coming, this, uh, this year has been really challenging for a lot of us, and I appreciate your faithfulness in giving proportionally and in giving sacrificially, but I want you to know that this year we have really been blessed as a church because a few people have left sizable gifts to good news in their estates, and it's made it possible for us to have uh, what we've been able to have this year as a church. That's one of the ways that God has provided for us. I'm so thankful for that. Jared's going to just help us a little bit to understand a little bit more. So Jared, tell us a little bit more about what is estate planning. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, so estate planning is really uh, taking the time to put together, whether it be through a will or a trust or other documents, um, really what your wishes are uh, for when you're gone to make sure not only is it an opportunity to make sure that your family and your loved ones know what you want to do uh, to avoid any questions or confusion, but also so that you can make sure uh, your wishes are carried out. Yeah, so what advice would you give someone? So how could someone be, include Good News Church in their estate planning? So there are a number of ways to do it, but depending on what type of estate documents you have, uh, you could include it uh, directly in the will or in, uh, in your trust, uh, or make sure to write a note to your family to let them know, and then uh, actually directly through the church, we have a, a declaration form uh, that we have in order to uh, make the church aware um, so that uh, they know what, what needs to happen when the time comes. Mm -hmm. So this is maybe the most important thing, is so how, how would an estate, an estate gift be used? Yeah, so there's really three main areas that we like to focus on as a church, and, and this is in general what we focus on as a church. And so, of course, uh, reaching and saving the lost, so continuing our missions with global outreach and uh, with, with other outreach ministries locally as well uh, to be able to spread the gospel and reach a, a lost uh, to kind of further the, uh, 
the mission through uh, passing the torch to the next generation. So really focusing on our, our children and our youth uh, because they are the future of God's kingdom and, God, and the church and making sure that we continue God's mission here for us in, uh, in St. Augustine. And then uh, finally, of course, is having a strong foundation as a church. We want to make sure that, uh, that good news is in a good place to continue to provide uh, for our, our local members and to try to reach uh, people in this community. And so being able to make sure that we can fund uh, current ministries and, and potentially others in the future. Thanks. Appreciate that. The, um, you know, it can be uh, difficult to begin a conversation uh, about our giving. And it can certainly be difficult to, st to start that conversation, including a conversation about estate giving. So don't start there. Maybe that's not your first step. But maybe you could begin by asking, Father, is what I'm currently giving, is it given out of love? Has the gospel truly captured my heart's affection? Or is it my heart still turned inward on itself? Am I giving to get? Or am I given to be given to? H have I welcomed relationship with you into the center of my life? Am I giving cheerfully? A am I giving proportionally? A am I giving sacrificially? Am I giving eternally? Now, one of the stories that I love that helps me test my own heart is the story of a king. And the king had many, many, many servants in his kingdom. And one of his servants was just a, a poor, poor man who tended a very, very, very small portion of the king's kingdom. On that little piece of land, that, that young gardener grew a carrot. And he took the carrot to the king and he presented it to the king. And he said, King, I have worked to provide this carrot for you. And the king took the carrot and he thanked the servant for the carrot. And he said, oh, thank you for your love for me. I'm going to entrust to you not only this little portion of land. I'm going to entrust to you a vast estate for you to tend and care for. Because you have been so faithful in loving me. Another one of the king's servants who oversaw all of his stables he watched what happened between in this exchange with the poor farmer. And he went to the stable and, and he took the finest horse in all the stables and he brought it to the king. He bathed the horse and he brushed the horse and he presented it to the king and he said, King, I have worked hard and I give you this beautiful horse. And the king said, Thank you so much. The man waited. And the king said, what? what are you doing? What, what are you waiting for? And the man said, well, listen, I don't mean to be forward, but I watched this guy come in. He gave you the carrot. You gave him a vast estate. I've worked. I've given you this horse, and, and you've said thank you. What's with that? And the king said, 
Oh, that man, he gave me the carrot because he loved me. And you've given me the horse because you loved yourself. Which is it for you? Is it give to get? Or is it give to be given to? Have you come to know the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to know the love of a father who's promised to provide all you need? Is your giving a response to his gracious offer of himself? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Naturally, we're far more like the, the steward of the, of the horses than we are the steward of the carrot. We're so prone to, to turn inward on ourselves and to give in order to, to see what we could get instead of out of love for you, seeing all that you've done for us, Jesus, trusting more and more of our lives to you. Jesus, that all begins when you move in, when you come into our lives as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that, that you could Press this gospel truth of your self-sacrificing love deeper and deeper into every heart. Jesus, someone who's loved us the way you have is worth following with everything we have. So, Jesus, I pray that you would draw us more and more into your love, that we might respond with giving and going, and serving, and following, not to get, but to be given to through a relationship of love. For I pray in your name.